wealth, security, and opportunity are a byproduct of success. However, it often comes at the expense of deep personal satisfaction and happiness. This is the Design Your Destiny podcast, and I am your host, Penny Chason, board-certified hypnotist and number one international best-selling author. I work with the highly successful influencers, business leaders, corporate leaders who desire a life by design. In this podcast, I will bring to you succinct solo episodes and interviews that dissect the challenges of success and highlights the ways to leverage your most underutilized asset, your subconscious mind. If you desire peace and happiness in your life, better health and stronger relationships so you can enjoy the success that you have created, keep listening because this podcast is for you. everybody. It's Penny back with another episode of Design Your Destiny. And I have a very special guest today. And I invited her onto the podcast because she was a mirror reflecting some things back to me about who I need to be in mm-hmm. business. And she has a wealth of knowledge and experience to share because I'm all about who we need to be successful and thrive in business. And this comes down to the topic at hand today, leadership and stepping up and actually building a business where you can thrive and step Mm -hmm. out of the day-to-day operations. So today I have Jana Lee with me. She has over four years experience as a COO and operations consultant for digital startups. She helps founders scale their businesses and scale themselves out of the day-to-day by training their operator to become the second in command. Her mission lies in transforming the purpose-based businesses into vehicles for growth and good. And that is a mission after my own heart. It's all about impact because sure, what is wealth? It's great for opportunities. It helps us to solve problems much more easily. But if we're not leading a life of impact and fulfillment, like what is the point? Am I right? Agreed. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. So I would love for you to just take a moment and just wherever you feel led, share a little bit more about who you are, your purpose and how you came to be in this place, because I know that you love to travel. I love following your social media and seeing your travels. So how did this all come about? Yeah, it's a bit of a funny story. I like to say that before I found operations, I was quite literally directionless. I was living in a converted sprinter van with my boyfriend at the time. This was five years ago. And we were in South America, just driving wherever the wind took us. And at the time, he was scaling his first digital business. And so I was sitting across the table from him, literally two feet away every single day, watching him try and grow this thing. And as you do, you weigh in, you talk through problems. And it became quickly very clear to me that the things I was seeing in his business just intuitively were very different than what he was seeing in his business. And through a series of odd events and a few months, I ended up stepping in for what was supposed to be like a 30 day, just fill a role because somebody left all of a sudden and ended up becoming that company's COO. Because the second that I got in the company and really started looking around, I realized that there were so many gaps within the company that to me were like giant neon sign obvious 
but nobody else was looking at them and nobody was seeing them. And after enough time, I came to learn that lens, that way of looking at a company, there's a word for that and that's operations. And so when I finally found operations and I started to really hone in that skill set and master that craft, I came to realize how powerful operations is as a lever when it comes to unlocking a business's full potential and their full impact. And so after many years and many experiences, being an operator, coaching hundreds of businesses in their operations, I eventually started my own company so that I could use my own skill set and my own knowledge set as that leverage point to help business owners unlock their highest potential and really enjoy the process as opposed to it feeling like dragging a ball and chain up a giant hill, right? Turning operations into that thing that makes growing their business fun. I won't say effortless. It's going to be a lot of hard work, but it is going to be fun work as you're doing it. And that is my goal. I absolutely love how you framed that up, especially around the gaps, because as a creative and the visionary, that was one of the things I would spend a lot of time on. I would hire coaches mm. and I would know there was something missing right? and I could not put my finger on it because I didn't know what I did not know because I have not operated at a level owning a business to have that top-down view and to see all of the parts moving. I mean, it, it's one thing to see yourself as that successful CEO and working from that place, making decisions. But if you don't know what even needs to be in place, yeah. you don't know how to prioritize the decisions wow. that you're making. And so yeah. right now I'm sitting on a ton of content. I'm sitting on a ton of opportunity that has been sitting there and generating no revenue because I'm creative, I'm visionary, and it's a relief to have someone come in and can see these pieces and say, oh, we have to connect this piece to that piece yeah. and get things flowing. Yeah. So for someone who is in a space where maybe they have an assistant, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think it's important here to differentiate because I fell into this trap. Your executive assistant isn't necessarily your operations person. It's a hugely unique skill set. Yes. And one of the things that I had to learn is that creating SOPs isn't operations either. It's one little piece, yeah, yes. but it's not the operations of the business and even the client journey. That's yeah. just one teeny tiny piece. When someone wants to step into this role where they can begin to remove themselves out of the business, yeah. Where do they even start if they're sitting at low multi six figures and they've never had an operations person yeah. in their business? Yeah, totally. Two kind of different parallel tracks here. And I think we have time to dive into both. On one hand, the question you're asking around, how do I even start to scale a team? No matter if that's one person, five people, 10 people, how do I start to scale a team in a way that allows me to begin elevating myself? out of that role and out of that scope of work from my very first hire, right? There's a set of leadership and hiring best practices that enable that. And on the other parallel track, we have operations as a topic specifically. And when I hire that person, when I hire my operator, how does that person help me scale myself out of the day-to-day? -day? What should they even be doing? 
in the business and what are the gaps that they are there to close? So I'm pulling out that these are two separate topics and let's take them one at a time. Where would you like to start? I think that's great because to me, they were like two shades of the same topic, which shows where I am from that visionary standpoint. I think the logical place to start is where do I even begin? Yeah, totally. To your point, Penny, where you spoke about, I I don't even know what I don't know. And so it's been so helpful having somebody else come in and help identify those gaps. I would take it even a step further and offer that your job as the visionary and founder of your business isn't to be consistently trying to find the gaps in your company. Your job is like, if business is a bucket, your job is to pour more water into the top of the bucket, right? That's sales, that's marketing, that's products, that's offers. That's all of the things that are bringing revenue into the company and driving the next wave of evolution and growth. Cool, water's coming into the bucket. What we know is that in inefficient businesses, there are leaks, there are cracks, there are holes in that bucket and water is leaking out. That's where operations comes into the mix. The job of the operator in the simplest terms possible is to find and close the leaks. And the bigger your bucket gets, the more and more water gets poured in there, the bigger your company becomes, the bigger the cracks become, the bigger the gaps become, the amount of water, the amount of money leaking out of your business starts to exponentially compound. And so when you're asking the question, where do I get started? How do I start? The first component to that is recognizing that if you're really small, the leaks might be small. Yeah, we're losing $50 over there, $100 over there. Things could be better, more efficient, but by and large, I will be able to drive more value into my business just by focusing on pouring more water in than trying to identify and close these little gaps. As we scale, those gaps will start to cost you more and more. And so when I get this question all the time, like, when do I hire my operator? You hire the operator when it is going to be more cost effective to keep that water in the bucket and pay somebody whose entire focus, their entire lens, their entire genius is to just see the leaks, see the gaps, see the holes, find them and close them. And all of that water being kept in the bucket is going to be ROI positive and is going to exceed the cost of their salary. Where that generally happens in terms of the business life cycle is anywhere between at a low end, probably 30K months. It becomes really essential as we get into the 50 to 70K per month. And then it becomes an absolute need to have once you start reaching that seven-figure run rate. Like at that point, having a full-time operator in the business is an absolute essential hire. I believe, Penny, most of your uh, audience and listeners are in the earlier stages of that growth cycle. And so your question is, cool, if I'm even before that stage of growth, what do I need to be doing in order to start scaling myself out of the day-to-day of the company? Is that correct? That's correct, because I'm a firm believer that as our business grows, our mindset, the way that we show up in that business, if we have issues around our beliefs and our thoughts around our business, how it can grow, what it should look like, if those things are based on misperceptions or they're based on fear, lack, scarcity, those things amplify as the business grows. And what you said is that the leaks will also amplify, which sounds to me like that's where the recipe for burnout comes in, that we're constantly pouring in and we're not seeing the return on the energy 
yes. that we're putting into our business, like both spiritually and physically, mentally and emotionally. Yes. It is an operational gap when your business starts to feel like an energetic black hole, when you are just pouring everything into it and you are not seeing the type of shift and the type of growth that you'd expect to see back from it. Can't tell you exactly what's happening. I can tell you it is an operational bottleneck. Somebody needs to get in there and take a look and identify where your energy, your time, your money is leaking out of the bucket. I love what you said, Penny, about the mindset shifts. And that's actually where I would love to start the conversation around how do I scale myself out of the day-to-day? Because if you're, your first operator, sorry, your first hire may not be an operations hire and that's okay, right? That doesn't have to be your first hire for every single business. But the mindset that you bring to that first hire and every hire after that is going to be the differentiator between whether that hire truly moves you closer to scaling yourself out or whether it is more work piled on. I see this all the time with really small teams where it's probably like the core founder and maybe it's a VA or a couple of VAs or like one full-time hire, right? Like early, early stages of team growth where you were a founder, you were doing everything in the business. That was exhausting. You went out and you hired somebody. And for some reason, it feels like there is more work on your plate instead of less. Like now I not only still have to do everything, but I also have to manage this other person because they aren't successfully taking things off my plate. And with that point of frustration, I see a lot of entrepreneurs actually regress. They fire the person, they downsize the business, or they commit to continuing to grow the business, but I'm just going to do it by myself because I can't trust other people and other people are always underperforming and my VAs are not helping. And it's just more work for me. And so what I would love to start with is what are the critical mindset shifts that will be the differentiator between that movie and the movie where every single hire takes an enormous amount of work off your plate. And all of a sudden you've created a virtuous cycle when it comes to scaling your business and scaling yourself. I think that's great. And I have some questions that I'll ask you once you move through that, because I see patterns Mm -hmm. when I've worked with clients who are at seven and multi-seven figures, and they find themselves in a business where they're not feeling fulfilled and they know there should be something more. There are some key patterns that I see, but I'm going to reserve Mm. thoughts until you, you go through this because I think it's important piece. Okay. Fantastic. Let's dive in. So the first absolutely critical mindset shift that needs to take place when you as a founder are deciding to make a hire could be your first hire, could be your fifth hire. really doesn't matter. You're agreeing to bring on a team member, what does that mean for you? It means that there needs to be a fundamental identity shift when it comes to you and how you affect the success of your business. When you are a solopreneur, success is all back to you. How hard can you work? How innovative can you be? What ideas can you come up with? Like it is all down to you, your dedication, your work ethic, your creativity. That is what makes you successful when you're a solopreneur. And so we build this self-belief at that stage of growth that says I can do everything and my success is reliant on me. The second you decide to hire a team member, that narrative starts to change and it has to because your success is no longer just about you. Your success, your business's success, no longer comes down to how hard you can work. It's about how hard you can inspire your team to work. 
not how many great ideas can you come up with, but how can you nurture innovation so that your team can be consistently generating amazing ideas. The focal point of success shifts from you as an individual to the team. And your definition of success as an entrepreneur needs to shift from how exceptional can I be to how can I create an environment where exceptional work gets done, where I'm not the person doing the work anymore, but my responsibility to my business has now shifted to creating an ecosystem where the right work is getting done at the highest possible quality by the people that I am bringing onto my team. And that starts with the very first hire. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the most valuable things that I picked up from you and everyone Mm -hmm. in the show notes, we're going to put a link to Jana's Facebook group because she gives amazing value in that group. And that is even from the first hire to cultivate self-direction and thinking and problem solving. I might not be using your exact words, but when I brought on the person in my business now who does my podcast and my clips, is it always perfect to the way I would do it? Do they Mm. necessarily see exactly the things that I see that I would want clipped out? Mm. No, but they understand my message. They're getting my message across. And it took a couple of months of being there with them and back and forth, but now they're independent thinking Yep. Yep. and just continuing to help them to grow. And that was just such an amazing shift for me Mm -hmm. to not look at this person as someone who checks boxes on a task list, Yes. but to actually think through it. And I even hired them on a trial. I said, look, I know you love tech. I know you love doing this and that. What I want to do is hire you on a trial. If you absolutely love it, say yes. Mm. If you don't, I want you to say no. Because if you don't love it, then it's going to end up not working out for you. You're not going to be happy. And if you can't enjoy what you're doing and bring that energy into it, then I don't want you to be unhappy. Wow. There are so many best practices in that story, Penny, and I would love to just draw a few of them out and make them explicit so that your audience understands like how many good things just lined up to make this a successful relationship and partnership for you. So the first one is number one, you relinquished control over the how and you redirected your focus towards the what, what does success look like in this role? Success looks like powerful podcast episodes that are getting my branding, my messaging, and my mission across. That's what matters. That at the end of the day is all that matters. If your podcast episodes are showing up and delivering that on time, right? High quality and doing that is success. Success is not producing a podcast episode step-by-step exactly the way that you would have done it. So you're disassociating success away from the set of steps, the how of the process, and you're redirecting that towards the what. What is the desired outcome of this role in my business? Guys, when we are trying to lead and scale a team and we're focused entirely on the how, what that looks like is a library of immaculate SOPs that break down every single step-by-step process across your entire business, and nothing can move without you. Because your way 
is the only way. That's the problem with focusing on how you become the bottleneck, even in two hires, three hires. If those people are always coming back to you and saying, how do I do this? Then all of a sudden you're just an answer machine that has to be constantly coming up with the next great idea, constantly improving the processes, constantly figuring out the next how versus what you've done, Penny, which is redirect all of your focus towards, let me help this person understand the desired outcome and the definition of success in their role. And then I am going to lean on, this is your best practice number two, their innate talent, intrinsic motivation, core competencies and skill sets, their technological savviness and their ability to tell a good story and all of these things, right? I'm going to let them figure out the how. They are going to determine the best way to produce this podcast episode so long as it accomplishes the desired outcome that I have set out for them. So two things there. Number one, focus on the what, not the how. Number two, put people in the roles that they are intrinsically motivated to excel in because their skill set lines up with the skill set that is required for them to do the role and be successful in it. And I learned that from you in your Facebook. <laughs> so just everybody, I'm telling you, it's valuable to be in that space. I appreciate that. So Penny, well done, right? Because what you've accomplished is the ability to truly and genuinely delegate and offload the podcast production component of your business to a person that you fully trust. And yeah, it took a little bit longer, right? For you to really train them up, for them to really intrinsically grasp your message, your brand, everything that you want to communicate in your podcast, that probably took some time. But now they are up and running and rolling with it. And it has genuinely come off your plate as opposed to if we'd gone the other direction with this, you'd be in that story of, man, I have this podcast production manager, but I have to micromanage every single step of their process. They're coming to me all the time. They're asking me questions all the time. It is creating more work for me, not less. Yeah. And sometimes those questions do come because we do sure. make some shifts and changes. Like today, I went through my Facebook group. I mm-hmm. found a video in the archive and I'm like, let's pull this. And we're going to make this a podcast episode. So I had to record an intro. I had to record a mid-roll and just give a little bit of direction as, hey, you need to cut this piece and cut this piece and then just put it all together. So it's new and different. But I think also one of the things is to let go of control in the respect that it's okay when mistakes do happen. Because they become teaching moments. Like it's not a reason to get into, oh my God, everything's falling apart. My audience is going to think I'm whatever. We can get into all kinds of stories around issues around that perfectionism. Yes, that's so huge. I cannot echo that enough. The, The scary part of relinquishing control is that maybe things don't happen perfectly every time. The scary part of truly giving somebody autonomy over the how is that sometimes they're not going to do it. So the metaphor I would give is it's like you are teaching a child to ride a bike. The child will never learn to ride the bike if you are constantly behind them holding onto the seat. That's not riding a bike. That's just pretending to ride a bike while you actually do all the work. That's what most management and leadership feels like, right? You're showing up and checking things off a to-do list, but I really have to do all the work. I bear ultimate responsibility versus the only way only way 
that the child learns to ride the bike is to let go of the seat and recognize that they might fall down. They might fall down. It might be painful. It might cost the business some money. It will cost the business infinitely more money for you to invest all of your time and energy in keeping hold of the seat and not being able to take that time and energy that this person should theoretically be freeing up for you and reallocate that into pouring more water in the bucket. It is way more expensive to yeah. never let a mistake happen than to let the mistakes happen, let them be learning opportunities and keep your focus where it needs to be, which is driving the next wave of growth into the business. And at times when I've worked with entrepreneurs in that seven figure range, mm-hmm. and they're feeling trapped in that business and yeah. unfulfilled, it's mm-hmm. because they're gripping tight. Yes. And they're afraid of yes. what their audience is going to think if there's even just like a typo in an email and we get to let go of those things and appreciate that we're human. I think I got you off track there a little bit. So what was the next step we were going into? Cause this is an exciting conversation. I love it. Our stuff just, it coalesces together the work that I know. I know it's so fun. Okay. So let's bring it back. Let me see if I know where we're at in the conversation. So first best practice is the mindset shift that needs to happen that shifts your definition of success and your identity as an entrepreneur away from just what you can do to what you can inspire and lead a team to do. What comes from this is the natural challenge that I hear so many entrepreneurs say, which is I'm not a good leader or I'm not able to lead somebody to do as good of a job as I could do, right? They're just not as good at it as I am. So isn't it just so much easier and better for me to step in and do the thing? So part one is the mindset shift. Part two is the very real behavioral shift that needs to come from, it is actually, the second you hire somebody, it is actually no longer your job to own that result. Let's use the podcast example because it's a great one. So the moment that you hired your podcast production manager, let's be honest, it is no longer in your wheelhouse. It is no longer on your plate to create world-class podcasts. That has come off your plate the second you hired this person. The challenge that most entrepreneurs run into is that they refuse to believe that or accept that, right? They're like, yeah, I hired this podcast production person, but at the end of the day, it's still my podcast. So I'm gonna have to review every single episode. I have to make every final decision. I have to review everything for quality. At the end of the day, it's still mine, right? Versus the power that comes from helping that person truly understand that actually when I hired you, ownership for this deliverable transferred from me to you. This is yours now. You are the only person in this business responsible for creating world-class podcast content. This is your job. This is literally not my job. You are the only person that will be the differentiator between exceptional and subpar work. This is yours. That feels like a scary conversation because you're transferring a ton of responsibility to this person. But the amazing thing about human nature, guys, is that when you put a performance gap in front of an A player, they will rush forward to fill it. It is actually exhilarating for them. It is exciting for them to see a place where they have an opportunity to grow and to feel like they have the autonomy to run towards it and to grow towards it. So it's actually this massive unlock of their intrinsic motivation, their buy-in, their engagement. When you place that much responsibility on them, 
the amount that they will step up, step in, and surprise you. I've, I've never not been surprised by what a human being will deliver to me when I give them the opportunity to do. And so I hear a lot of limiting beliefs from entrepreneurs running small teams of, yeah, but they're just a VA in the Philippines. I don't pay them the way that I would pay like a US-based A player. I can't trust them the same way I would trust somebody that I'm paying whatever to. Guys, human beings are human beings. Doesn't matter where they live, doesn't matter how much you're paying them. Every human being is a wellspring of human potential. And you get to decide in how you lead them, how much of that potential you're inviting them to bring to the table. So my the people who are the lowest on my org chart still have absolute and complete ownership for their roles, for their deliverables, for fixing the problems when they come up, for innovating on the solutions when we don't have one, for solving things in real time. And as a result, I've been able to crowdsource maximum engagement, maximum innovation, maximum creativity, and maximum work ethic from every single person across my team. And we are able to move so much faster as a result of that. I think that's amazing. And I have a question for you because yeah. I have a client in my head and I know mm -hmm. she would want me to ask you this. Okay. How do you handle your quality control? Yeah. You have self-managed because this is a conversation that they came up yesterday regarding team in a situation where by the time the issue was caught, mm. there was a month of week after week mm. of break-even revenue, mm. zero profitability. And mm. when they went in and they looked at what was going on, it was a quality issue from the very first person the clients interacted with. Yep when they had face-to-face -face engagement. So I'm just curious, you know, how you handle that because giving someone responsibility doesn't mean that the business as a whole still uh, isn't our responsibility. So where is that fine line? Oh my God, such a good question. So thank you so much for raising that, Penny, because when I speak with business owners about this kind of new approach to leadership, their response is, oh, okay, so you're telling me I like put this on their plate and then it's done. And I don't have to think about it again. And I'm flying away. Delegation is not the same thing as abdication. Huge difference. Delegation is not the same thing as abdication. I love it. Our job when it comes to delegating to somebody is to step off of the field. Before you were a player on the field, you were wearing that hat. You were in the game. You were doing the thing. You're stepping off of the field to become a coach on the sidelines. The coach is still very much involved. The coach is not walking off the field and letting the players run the game. The coach is absolutely in it with them, but they are showing up in their role, which is as a coach, not as a player. And so when you delegate and you transfer ownership to a member of your team, you need to back that up by stepping in as their coach, or I should say stepping back, but into the role as coach, right? This is yours now. I recognize that is more responsibility than probably any boss has ever given you in the past. I get that that's scary. I get that that may be challenging. I get that maybe you've never done that before. So I am here to support you in being successful. The ownership is still yours, 
But my job is to set you up for success in claiming that. So what do you need from me? What trainings, what resources, what weekly checking calls, what skill sets, what mindsets, right? What are all of the things that I need to offer you as your coach to support you in being successful running the play? But at the end of the day, you're the person stepping onto the field and making it happen, not me. So the, in the example of your client, right, what also needed to happen alongside that delegation was weekly checking calls with that individual was performance. Like my weekly checking calls are mini performance reviews. I don't wait a month. I don't wait a quarter to tell people where they're doing well or wrong. That feedback cycle starts immediately. Day one, how could you be doing better in your role? Because I recognize I just put a huge performance gap in front of you, but you're not going at it alone. You've got me. So weekly check-in calls. We have performance reviews as part of that weekly ongoing basis. And then we are also, as part of those weekly calls, looking at the data. When somebody has complete ownership for their role, it means they also own when their role is not going well. There were probably leading indicators, Penny, all the way back at week one when that first mistake was made that said, hey, there's a mistake here. But the person in the role was not looking at that. Your client was not looking at that. It went under the radar. It went undiscovered for way too long because there wasn't a time and place to step back, review the data and say what went well, what didn't go well, what needs to be going better. Yeah, It was a reactionary process. Totally. And I can see in the past how I probably would have been that same way. Now, this is a brick and mortar business that they're running, but I think that role of just keeping your finger on the pulse. I love that you talk about being the coach because we can't walk away from it. And I see uh -huh. so many entrepreneurs who say, I, I can't wait till I'm making X amount of money and I can just hand over my copy and marketing and I never have to write another piece. Yeah. And then you see chat GPT come out and I get an email and I'm like, I know this person and I know mm. this person didn't write this mm. because mm. there would be content that completely contradicted their mm. own philosophy that kind of slipped through the cracks yep. because it was delegated, but there wasn't this check to make sure it was aligned with the mission and the vision of yes. the person driving the bus. Yes. Yes. And that falls to the manager, to the business owner. Guys, our job, our highest, most important job as the founders of our business is to set the vision, set the mission, set the core values, set the brand voice, set the overarching guidelines that say, this is how we do business. So that maybe you hire a copywriter, but the copy they're producing is in alignment with the mission, with the brand voice, with the core values. That is not their job to make that up, to somehow know that. And the challenge with us as founders is that everything is so clear to us because it's all in our head and it's all our baby. And it's so obvious to us that we actually forget it is not obvious at all to our team. And so if you're asking me, like, what does it mean to be a coach? What I show up and do as a coach to my team, 80% of the time, we're not focused on the tactical of what's happening with this one issue or this one project or whatever. I'm asking myself, how do I need to better clarify and communicate context to this person? How do I need to fill in the gap 
that they're experiencing around our mission, around our core values and how our core values apply in this scenario, about our voice and how our voice would show up in this specific use case, right? That is our job always to communicate that context and that clarity to our team again and again so that it is all they know, it is all they see, it is all they hear. And so every action that they take shows up in alignment with our grand vision for our business. They can't do that. They're not mind readers. So we have to give it to them as explicitly and on repeat as possible. I think that's great. We get when we're experts at what we do, yeah. we don't have to think exactly. about what we do. And we can take a lot for granted and fail to communicate that context. I, I think that was a really great point. So we're pushing close to 40 minutes here. What, if there was one thing that you could communicate mm. that would make a difference for someone, something maybe that you don't get asked that often that I haven't thought to ask, if there's one thing that you think is really important in regard to operations and getting ready to move in that direction of scale, what would it be? Let me think about that. Try to think of what I don't normally share on a podcast that I think would be really valuable for people. Give me, give me a little bit more guidance with that prompt, Penny. What do you like? Give me a topic. Give me an area of business. What do you think people would find really valuable? What do I think people would find valuable? Just where, so say they've gotten to the point where you, you said 30,000 to $50,000 mm-hmm. months. Is there a sign? Is there a clue? to the Um, uninitiated of, okay, it's time for operations, or do you use that revenue milestone as just a blanket starting point? Oh man. Okay. That's a great question. The revenue, I wish I didn't have to give revenue because I think it's a terrible indicator. Frankly, it's just what everybody can really easily measure up against. The real indicator is the leaks in the bucket right out. And water is going to be pouring out across of four major categories. Those categories are time, energy, money, human potential. So what you will see in your business when your business is screaming at you that there is an operational leak and there is an operational bottleneck that now needs to be invested in and solved, you're going to see it very clearly with your own time. All of a sudden, it's going to start to feel like you are spending all of your time working in your business and none of your time working on your business. All of your time is being spent reactively, just showing up and the business is just lobbing balls at you all day and you are just handling them and you have no bandwidth and no time left over to actually drive the business forward or even to just step out of the weeds for a second and see where the business is going. Your time is going to be spent on things that you know you shouldn't have to be doing low value things, small things, little details, little balls that are getting dropped that you now have to pick up. You are going to be so frustrated with how you are spending your time. That is a major indicator of operational inefficiency. The second one is energy. Your energy, just like your time, is a finite and scarce resource. And so if all of your energy is being poured into parts of the business that you hate doing, the things that just drain the life out of you, drain the creativity, drain the joy, drain the excitement. You're showing up and you're no longer in love with the process 
of scaling your company, you're still committed to it. You're still going to show up and do it, but you are having to muscle your way through every single day. That is a major indicator that you have operational inefficiencies because an operator's job is to come in and optimize you, optimize your time, optimize your energy, optimize your genius so that you can do what you do best, which is pour more water into the top of the bucket. Time, energy, money. This one's pretty obvious. If it can be sneaky, Penny, this is something that I don't normally share, but let's say that you have a sales funnel and you have a hundred leads that come into that sales funnel every single month and you're only closing two clients. On the surface, that might look like a sales problem. That is an operational problem. That is all those leads that are slipping through the cracks and leaking out of the bucket. That is leakage. That is inefficiency. That is not you being a good or bad salesperson. That is your system not being tight enough to send all of those leads through the appropriate process, right? So money will be leaking out of your business in the form of lost leads, lost clients, client churn and client retention. It will look like expenses all of a sudden creeping up and up and your profit margin disappearing and you don't know where that money is going. That's it. Money leakage, major leading indicator. And then finally, human potential. This is what we've talked a lot about when it comes to team. When it feels like your team is underperforming, when your team is just a constant source of frustration to you, when you're a constant source of frustration to yourself because you're not able to deliver your best work for your business because you're too busy doing all these other things. That is loss of human potential, yours and your team's. And it is an operator's job to come in and fix that. Does that answer your question, Penny? Yeah, and I think that's a great point that you make. And I want to tie that last piece, the human potential, back to the revenue because we hear often, especially in the coaching and the hypnosis industry, that when you're delivering value to raise your rates to gain that time back. Mm. But when you need that time, and if you're actually cutting clients, but your revenue is not going up because you're not raising your rates, I can see how those two things could potentially be leaked, linked, not leaked. I'm hypnotic suggestion. I'm picking up your words. <laughs> How those things are linked together. I want to say I have immensely enjoyed this conversation. There is so much value here. I think we're going to take it and we're going to put a price tag of $9.99 on it. And you and I can do a 50-50 revenue share. No, I'm kidding. There's a lot of value in this episode. And if you're not in a position yet that you really understood what we discussed, bookmark this episode and come back to it later because there is a lot of gold in here. There are some things that it took me a few years to figure out, to learn, to understand, and to begin to implement in my business. So thank you so very much for coming on and sharing your experience and your expertise with my audience. Please share with everyone where they can find you, if you have a resource that they may find helpful, I'm sure that as well. I love that. And I will say, Penny, to echo what you just said, which is I know, guys, that this episode probably felt pretty high level. Like you might not be walking away with tactical, actionable things to change in your business or in your leadership style. And so this is to answer your question, Penny, the resource I would direct you towards, as she's already said, is my Facebook profile and my Facebook group, because on a weekly basis, I am dropping live masterclasses there and helping translate how these high level principles get tactically trans like 
executed across hiring, across firing, across management, across all the tactical things that you have to show up and do in your business, these same best practices come trickle down and show up in tactical ways all the time. And I drop that on a weekly basis in my Facebook group and it's all free. So that would be the highest resource I'd be able to offer you is that weekly free value in terms of resources as well. Penny, I will make sure that you have a link to an ebook, which everybody gets when they join my group anyway. But if you just want the ebook, that's cool too. And that is a, it is my deep dive into the six core pillars of scalable operational foundations and the most common mistakes that I see CEOs make across those six. So that would be an amazing free resource for people as well. The final link I will leave you all with is just my website, which is spyglassops.com. So if you want to know more about me and what it is that I do, that's where I would send you. Yeah. And I know a lot of people these days are saying, I'm checking out of Facebook groups. I'm not doing Facebook groups, especially free Facebook groups. I'm telling you, if that's your attitude, (laughs) you want to shift it when it comes to this, because it is where I have educated, I shouldn't say educated myself. I have allowed myself to be educated about so many things that I have implemented into my business. So by all means, go give Jana a follow, join the Facebook group, get the download. And if you enjoyed this episode, please give me a subscribe on YouTube, leave a positive Apple podcast review. Those are always loved and appreciated and see you all next week. Thanks, Jana. And thank you, Penny. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Destiny. I would love to know what resonated most with you. So just take a screenshot of this episode, share it over on your Instagram stories and tag me at penny.chason and let me know what you thought. Also, if you head over to iTunes and you leave a positive review, it helps this podcast to help reach even more people making a difference elevating humanity and mankind.